Hi, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Get Your Tech On, our show on all things Doxis. We're back again. I'm Brady Volp, founder of Nimble This and the Volp Firm. With us is John Downey. John, welcome back. How are you doing? Good. What episode is this? Oh, it's a special episode. It's a, we're in the high 60s now. I don't, I don't remember the episode. So this week, uh, we're going to be talking about a little bit of what happened at SCT Expo. We'll cover, cover some things there. Uh, we also have a couple of other things going on. But we're going to start this episode off with a little bit of a brain teaser. Uh, it's a math problem that's kind of hit the internet with a little bit of a storm. And it has some English in it, too. We'll start off with the English part of it, John, and see if you can help us on this. And it, it seems like, a, as we said, it came, this one is clipped from Popular Mechanics. Adults can't seem to do, understand this math problem for first graders. Can you? So, John, what we see here is it says, and I'll read it explicitly as it comes out, use math drawings to make the pictures equal. Connect them below with equal sign to make true number sentences. For those of you on audio only, on the left-hand side, we have what looks to be a, a basket with three apples and two bananas. Maybe they're oranges or tomatoes. I can't tell for sure. And on the right-hand side, we have an empty basket. So, John, you have any thoughts on this? Hmm. I mean, really, it's just a quantity of different uh, items, so... If you add basket plus three orange plus, so if you, mm, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like saying the total minus the three apples into bananas equals the basket, right? So it's like. Um, so, you know, where I got stuck on this was what was a number sentences or true number sentences? So I actually Googled that to figure <laughs> to remember what true number sentences in I mean, again. It's and, probably, probably just a mathematical thing, right? Like yeah, it's, ba and, it's basically, you know, like uh, five plus three equals seven. Or you, or it could be a, a, an equation, like um, five is greater than seven. So then I started thinking about that, and, and I was like, well, there's, there's five pieces of fruit on the basket in the left, and there's zero pieces of fruit in the basket on the right. So my initial thought was, well, five minus five equals zero because we have five pieces of fruit in the basket on the left. We subtract five from that and it would equal zero. And, and that kind of what I thought would make that this a I, I, true I'm, number I'm, sentence. I'm surprised you threw this on me this, just like this. <laughs> and, uh, and I love brain teasers too. So I would have said uh, C minus 3A minus 2b equals c you're getting right into like quadratic equation i'm surprised you didn't make it a quadratic equation but i that's mean it's <laughs> just a, you're just saying the basket is an unknown which is c and and 3a is three apples and 2b is you know two bananas yeah so you subtract the three apples subtract it and you end up with c okay i see why you're getting that the apples and the bananas you're you're putting yeah. variables in for those so twitter responded and uh ben martin I think is his last name. Uh, I think he kind of got on the same logic the way you and I are. He said, subtract the fruit to show how you get from a full basket to an empty basket, which I think is saying the same thing. The point is to reinforce the relationship between abstract math and the physical world. So I think he's basically saying that same thing, you know, just say five minus zero or five minus five equals zero. He didn't really say the math there. Kind of seems simple, but 
let's let's bring in someone who's a college math instructor, uh, Bill Shalito. My thought, make sure that you have both baskets have the same number of fruit. You could do this by adding, so he's like getting, you know, add three oranges and two bananas to the right, but you could also add four oranges and two bananas and then an extra orange to the left. So I'm glad that we have a college math instructor here to really clarify things, <laughs> which I don't think he did at all. <laughs> I'm not sure what he's doing with the fruit here and, and how you, like you a, know, a first grader, you know a first done. grader is going to do this with the fruit. I would the the picture on the left. I would have added a goat, and then you would have ended up with. The picture on the right. There you go. That <laughs> is the solution. We needed a goat into the picture here, and I I think <laughs> I think the you know so there was like lots of input, lots of Twitter on this, and there is no one correct answer. <laughs> I think I like was the final memory. solution to this. So, uh, I mean, imagine being a first grader on this. I think it just gets it's, it's the old, uh, sometimes the simplest answer is the correct answer. A goat. A goat yes, would come goat. in and eat all the fruit out of the basket on the left. And then Actually, you know what? they'd both be empty. The I think it would eat the basket too, so I'm wrong. It would eat the basket too. Yeah, that one that one worked. No, but I like your I like your solution with a goat. It just takes care of a lot of stuff. <laughs> So, uh, okay, on, on to uh, the next topic, which is SCTE Cable Tech Expo this year. It was very virtually different than any Cable Tech <laughs> Expo we've been at before. It was virtual. Um, so I, I'd, I'd like to, you know, maybe John poke you and say, what was, what was your take? Did you, uh, did, you ta- did you attend any of the sessions? What would oh, you say? Uh, any of the sessions? <laughs> I want to swear right now. I tried to uh, attend all the sessions. I, I wish I would have had a command center with like multiple screens and computers because I was trying to, I had all these windows open at once. I even said, I have like 10 windows open and uh, Dean Stoneback wrote in the chat session, what, you're on Windows 10? I'm like, shut up, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Windows 98. <laughs> so I, I was trying to watch multiple sessions because you had live chat in each one of them. And this is like the ultimate multitasking, right? You're trying to watch a couple sessions. And it, it's it was great because one, you can't do that live. Once you commit to walking into somebody's room, you're basically stuck there for like an hour, whether you like the speakers or the topic or not. You could walk into a room and think it's one thing and it turns out to be another. And you're so bored you're doing email, but you can't just get up and walk out. And even if you did, then you'd have to find another session that you were interested in and walk in and disturb them. So it was kind of nice being virtual because you could basically do that. You, you could walk learn. Out, you walk could in, you, do whatever you want. No one knows that you're in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was the beauty. And how many times did you go to SCTE and you're like looking for which floor and which room the session was in in the first place? You know, yeah. there's, there's, I get lost a lot of times. Any other pr- challenge with Expo is... Oftentimes the sessions are running at the same time the floor is going on or sessions are running at the same time. So it's it can be difficult at Expo, at a live event, to get away to the sessions or be able to see if you've got two sessions that are really hot that you want to see at the same time, you can't see it. So that was one thing I really did like about the virtual sessions. I could, I could attend one session live and then I could catch the session that I really wanted to see at the same time. I could watch it in replay or DVR mode or whatever they call it at the same time. And then also 
one of the things I really liked is, you know, there may have been issues with some of the sessions, speaker issues, whatever. I could fast forward through uh, sessions or, you know, maybe things that I didn't want to watch. I could fast forward those. And that was also really beneficial at the same time. So, yeah, I think we have a, a quick summary here. We also did talk to other people um, about some of the experience and, and we got good feedback and we also got some bad feedback that, you know, there were some confusions about what was going on because like some of the sessions, uh, they may have had the bad titles, the incorrect titles on the bottom. So we did see that happening. And I think these are some logistical issues that they were having. So like one of the sessions we were on, you know, for mine, for example, uh, where I did the uh, PNM Live, it would say, uh, instead of saying PNM Live, it would say uh, Spanish speaking session, why Latin America MSOs are plugging into the FTTS migration presented by Corning. And it wasn't, that was, that was actually not the session you were at. So I think for me, that would be kind of confusing. Um, I would, I would want to be watching one session. It would be telling me it was a different session. So I think those were maybe some logistical challenges that was uh, the, the uh, f- I think it was probably the Freeman group, maybe that, who set this whole thing up that was experiencing yeah. getting yeah. those right. And like you said, it, go back to your bullet points. Uh, I guess in their defense, this was the first time, but to go against them, other conferences have happened since February that have been virtual. They could have taken notes from maybe, but I am glad it still got off the ground and still worked. Yeah, the the virtual booth tour stuff, that was just, as, as a viewer myself, I'm like, how am I going to take time to go to a virtual booth tour when I'm trying to watch all these sessions? And I'd rather watch the session live. And here's the reason why I liked watching the session live was the chat functionality. I was very active in the chat. I really liked the chat. I love Sometimes the I would do it just to get people going because yep. there would be nothing. I'm like, hey, is anyone talking? So I would get some chats going and we had some good uh, back and forth. The bad thing about the Q&A is only the moderator could okay the question before it was viewed. Yes. And no one could answer except for the moderator. Or I'm like, so what happened is the chat became a Q&A. Yeah. And a lot of Q&A. So, and, and the, uh, I, I think to your point on the moderators with the, the Q&A, if, um, there, there were good instructions on how to use the, the moderation, so it was, it was also up to the moderator as to whether or not they read the instructions and then engaged in the Q&A and provided those questions back and forth. So it was sort of a hit or miss as to how, in, how, how those Q&A questions came in. And then uh, one of the things I did like about the Q&A, and I think you pointed this out, John, is you can vote up the questions that were, that were you know, really interesting questions. And, and People did vote up questions up to the top uh, when when the moderators were putting those questions in, and that was that was nice because you would get you know questions that were really interesting questions, and people would vote those up to the top when they were put but, in. But a lot of people didn't know that they were supposed to do that. Yes, like I never, I didn't hear many people say, "Oh, by the way, before we start, if you have a question and anyone that has the same question, please like it." So what happened, I would have a question and I would see my question list. My question was near the bottom. I would go back and like my own question. So it would bubble up to the top. Yeah. But I could only like it once. But I, I then sometimes it's all it took. Yeah. And, and you're right. And in, in some sessions, it only took one. But I was mm-hmm. definitely in sessions where I would see questions, you know, get four or five, six likes on them and they would get voted up and some questions would get zero likes. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's. Uh, so this year was like the first time we did that. And I think these are things where uh, these are opportunities that hopefully 
you know, next year, we don't know what's going to happen, but I would suspect there's going to be some, uh, some similar things that happen where we hopefully get this same virtual experience. If we do have a live experience, I have a feeling they'll include a virtual experience because I think it was really, really nice to have the virtual experience. I really feel the virtual experience would be great for technical sessions going yeah. forward. Now, really? And then we could have a live booths and uh, booth tours, and that could be on site with, and maybe we revert back to the, remember the old days we used to do like stand up, not comedy, but stand up sessions in our own booth. Yes. We might do something like that, you know, and every half hour, yeah, John's going to talk about uh, whatever, you know. Uh, and we would actually have some talks in the booth. We'd p- pull people in and people would hang out in the middle of the walkways and stuff. But, you know, it got the point. But to have the the classroom experience, it's like it, it's it might be too late for me to go back to that. <laughs> like, why would I want to deal with that? Yeah. So I, I moderated a session where it was just standard speakers you know, giving the presentations as if they were in a real session. And then I also, I participated in a session where we made pre-made videos for the session. I have to say, being in the session where the videos were already done and we just talked to the video content afterward or have a panel discussion, that was a very, from my perspective, seamless session. Because Pretty much, you got to make sure everything went flawless for that session beforehand. And I think from my perspective, the response to the PM Live session was quite high. And also because when your videos are playing, you can then go into the chat room and have a discussion about that was a really nice thing to be able to do. That's the word I was just thinking in my head. You're liberated. It's very liberating yep. because you can sit there and respond back to your own self, even though you're not really talking. <laughs> I'm you know, talking, talking about talking. what I'm talking about while I'm talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I could see that be a... I could see that being a format that works really well moving forward if you have virtual sessions because, you know, when you're a speaker, and especially if you're a new speaker, it's, there's pressure on you to do that. So if you, can, if you can record your session, and anytime you're doing virtual sessions, I, I don't see any reason why you would not want to do that. Yeah. Record yourself, play it while you're doing your virtual session, and then, then you can talk about it afterwards. You can answer questions about it afterwards. You can chat while it's happening. I think that's an opportunity that I would like to see, I, I think could be taken advantage of in, I in think, the future. I think if, if going forward, if you were to, and I think they really should record the sessions beforehand, as a, as a presenter myself, I could see recording one slide at a time and then mashing it all together. Yep. I think it'd be much easier to edit it and say, well, I didn't like how that slide came off. Whereas if you try to record an entire hour session and you screw up at the 45 minute mark, you're like, yeah, how do I edit this? Or how do I, do I start all over again? You know, if you just, if you can figure out how to uh, pull the slide, like the presentation together into one, you know what I mean? Like do one slide at a time, maybe once a day you're prepping for a whole month and you do 30 slides. Yeah. But you're really excited about every single slide. And then you can just pull it together as you see fit. And just like when I make presentations, once I make the slides, sometimes it's like storyboarding where you're like, you know what? This slide would make more sense in front of this slide. Yep. And then you can make more of a transition. And, a, and another thing it would do is it would keep, you know, there, there are certain speakers, John, I don't know if you know of them, but they tend to go over their time period. And, and, oh. <laughs> and oh. I don't know if you know about, we were taking bets on you and over and under of how long you were going to go. You actually did pretty good uh, in, in maintaining your time I period. I just talk faster. <laughs> <laughs> I just talk faster. 
<laughs> so so pre-recording your your time slot would also help make sure that everyone maintains their 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 time stays on time doesn't run over and spend 20 minutes talking about their introduction slide so yeah so i think those are all opportunities for the future and how how it could be improved and, and go better so how about content um what were what did you see as far as themes uh between the different technical sessions now, last year, the theme was 10G, which meant yeah. 10 gigabit per second, right? Not 10th generation or 10 gigahertz or whatever. It was 10G, and it was how to get there. And we talked about ESD, extended spectrum DOCSIS. Low latency really was last, DOCSIS big last year. Yeah, so that that theme has has moved into this year, and that was uh, you know 10G, uh, extended spectrum DOCSIS, DOCSIS 4.0, FDX, FDD. Um, but it was... Way too many slides or presentations on the bandwidth surge. You know, I would understand if this was March, April, May, but here we are in October, eight months into COVID and work from home and all this other stuff. And I saw a lot of the same material replicated in many different presentations. Oh, and here's what we saw, 20, 30% upstream downstream here's what's driving you up and i'm like uh here we go again i already heard it five times already um and i understand it's it's uh they make good points but i want to see something new and like tell me what i can do about it or what did you do about it so there was some some good feedback on what we did to uh mitigate the the, the capacity problems uh the fact that we were over overbuilt in most situations. I, I even said it. Uh, we can't just pat ourselves on the back for that one. The cable systems came out okay because we were pressured to build faster pipes because of uh, competition. You know, Verizon's FiOS, ATT, TFast, and all those other things. Google Fiber, and it forced us to offer higher peak speeds, which meant the bigger aggregate pipe for everyone to share. So when everyone started working from home and people start using more. It was there. So that was kind of a good thing. So um, I said my hat's off to the competition for, for making us get off our butts and do stuff, right? Yes. Um, now the question is, where do we go from here? And the theme was, you know, um, keep going, add more speed. Because, And you hate to say the new normal. It's the new normal. But uh, I think the new normal is a lot more people working from home. Whether it's all the time or 50% of the time, it's going to happen. Yes. And and at some point we are going to have to stop talking about COVID bandwidth expansion and stuff like that, because at, to your point, we've been doing this for a while and we're starting to get ahead of the game. And, and what I'm seeing from operators is, is the demand or the calls for node splits. Or it, it's actually starting to slow down at this point where operators kind of gotten on and gotten ahead of the game. So I think you're right. Our, our, uh, we're starting to get worn out now at this point of talking mm-hmm. about COVID, talking about bandwidth expansion, and we're this is kind of business as normal now. So here's what, and I think I talked to you about this before. I think the novelty or the we're all in this boat together mentality and dealing with interruptions is gonna go to the wayside when some people have to go back to work, and then they become envious of their coworkers at home and a little baby walks in or cries or a dog or in my case chickens and turkeys and all kinds of other stuff so it's going to be more critical to have a an actual work from home environment 
that you can, like a panic room, <laughs> you can close yourself off. Good lighting. Uh, the, the sessions now have um, some type of, uh, what is it, voice activation or muting of external, like noise ingress cancellation, uh, noise cancellation, and then also uh, backgrounds as well. So you can do the virtual backgrounds and stuff like that. So I think that's going to become more of the new normal, uh, requiring work from home people to look more professional. Yes. <laughs> Shave once in a while, <laughs> wear, wear a different shirt. I've been wearing the same shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just shower, John, please. Yeah. No, but I, you know, I am starting to see a lot more people starting to share cameras uh, when you're in meetings. And I, and I think that helps a lot more uh, because it's still going to be some time before we start visiting each other. So having the face-to-face, I think, is important. It's, it's good for people to do that as well. But they also have to think about what's in their background. What's their camera look like? What's their face look like when they get on camera? Because this is not always easy, uh, sounding good, looking good when you're on camera. I'm not saying we really look good, but <laughs> actually, you know, getting to the point where you don't have echo and having, you know, bad-looking things going on at the same time. How do I, how do I use filters on live video? I'm sure there are. <laughs> I'm start my own avatars and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, uh, as far as, so we talked about the expo, the theme, um, well, I think, uh, what other, what other things do you have? Um, I don't know if you, did you see anything that as far as new technologies at expo that got you excited? So I, I don't know, excited. I was surprised. Uh, Amphenol talked about NDX next generation dual shield connector. I don't know what the X stood for, crossover, connector, crisscross. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it stood for, but NDX. And I'm like, it is interesting that we're 1948 to uh, year 2020. So that gives us 52, 72 years in. <laughs> we're 72 years into cable and we're still developing new stuff like an F connector, but it's not an F connector. Yeah, It's an NDX connector. <laughs> I remember when I joined Cisco 20 years ago and the MCX connector was coming out and it took a lot of teeth pulling to get people to accept it. Right. He said, man, if you want real estate and you want condensed, you got to get a smaller connector. The, F, the SCTE spec for F connectors was like one inch between the F connector center conductor. So a lot of people would start staggering the F connectors to get a little bit more on a board. Yeah, that works, but you can't get your fingers in there. And so we developed the MCX and yeah, it worked well and all that. But then the NDX is what Amphenol showed. And what I thought was interesting is, and I know Comcast was looking into this with FDX and noise issues. If a tech disconnects an RF cable from a tap, the center conductor was always, you're always told to make the center conductor stick out of the threads, right? Of your F connector. Mm -hmm. So then you put it in. But what happens when you pull it off? Your ground gets disconnected and the center conductor is still inside. So you have impulse noise. So you have impulse noise. Well, this NDX connector actually has this dual shield and the ground is longer than the center conductor. And, and that and actually does make sense. A lot of electronics it, it is always designed so that the ground makes contact first before any signals connect. And, then, and, and you want that so you have that ground to discharge any static electricity or anything like that. So it does actually make sense that they're now making a connector where the ground makes connection first and then and then your center conductor makes connection. Well, it only took us 72 years. Hey, you know, <laughs> all things come with time. <laughs> good thing. All good things all come good with things time. All good things come with time, yes. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. It would be a matter of who implements it. Like, um, 
new CPE, maybe Doxus 4.0 CPE would have mm -hmm. it, right? Uh, will, will I have an adapter that can do F to this adapter? I'm sure you can pretty much make anything you want, right? It just costs money. So the question will be how expensive is it? Uh, how much space do I really save? They mentioned it was three pounds connecting force, four pounds disconnect. And I remember the uh, speaker was talking about he was able to hold the modem by the cable without that's, the modem coming loose. Yeah, that's actually pretty I'm sure impressive. If you went like this, just to push it depends on, on how heavy that modem is. Yeah. <laughs> but four pounds is still not a lot of weight or pull. Mm -hmm. So if I if I move my chair around, I happen to catch the end of the cable. I'm probably <laughs> going to disconnect it with four pounds. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so it, 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 it's interesting. It's something new. And uh, it'll be interesting to see where it goes, I guess, uh, how it's implemented. You might say, oh, it won't go anywhere. But who would have thought USB would have went as far as it did? Yeah. Like, when the USB first came out, people were like, eh, we already got connectors. We don't need that. And now look where we are. Isn't that funny, USB? Universal serial bus. That's not universal because there's like 10 different, all different kinds of USB connectors. <laughs> I've, got, I've got piles of different USB cables for all the different what types of universal serial best connectors what that we have. more on that is. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 from my perspective, I mean, yeah, I think the cable connector you're talking about is cool. Um, I was really shocked because we didn't have Angacom show which is in Germany in the mm. spring or June, May or June. Uh, and then Expo is, you know, this is really where everyone unleashes the newest technology things that are coming out. I was kind of shocked that it, I, I only saw incremental technology releases or an announcements this year at Expo. And I imagine some of that must be because of delays in COVID. But I still expected more to come out at Cable Tech Expo this year. And there really was not much. It was very minor things that were released yeah, at Expo. I mean, remember all the times you see like the Diamond Award? Yep. Uh, this person won the Diamond Award for new fiber optic technology. This one won this for CMTS or whatever. I didn't see really, I saw one or two and that was it. But you're right. That's why I said the NDX connector really stuck out because it's one of the only ones I saw. Coolest uh, thing and cool. just an advancement. Like you said, after 74 years, we, we had an advancement connectors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think, was there anything else? I mean, uh, Technetics and, and ATX talked about amplifier 1.8 gigahertz. And Technetics is a cool, we had this on a, yeah, on a show before. they were with us before. That is definitely new technology. The, uh, the uh, DGA, DNA, the, uh, the architecture with no diplex filters. Low, low, low gain. Uh, but really, I mean, that's stuff that they've been distributed working gain on. Architecture. Distributed yeah. gain architecture, DGA. Uh, so that was that's totally new, different way of looking at things. Um, but yeah, I didn't see a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing groundbreaking that, that came out at Expo, from, at least from my perspective. If I miss something, please get in touch with me. Let me know. We'll talk about it. Love to know about mm -hmm. it. Uh, but I mean, Comcast and, talked about their octave. But I don't know that their octave uh, PMA, the uh, management uh, stuff, their AI machine learning. Yeah, and they have some it. new, you know, some virtualized CMTSs and stuff that they're you working know, are they on. Are they going to sell it to other people? And I don't know about that. You know, they were. I kind of, I kind of tried to push them on that, but they were, they were kind of not committing as to you know where they're getting it from are they going to market it and sell it or is yeah. it just for their internal use and then what's the impact on the industry uh, yeah. they were very vague uh, on, on answering <laughs> any of those questions which kind of expected 
Yeah. Which that kind of irked me a little bit too, because they had so many people doing speeches and being an MSO that big, you usually have red tape and also legal stuff to, you can't tell too much. Yes. Like you can't say too much. So then I'm like, I'm listening in on the sessions thinking, all right, I'm going to get some good tidbits. No, I mean, I'm waiting for meat and potatoes. <laughs> That's what I do when I give speeches. I give meat and potatoes. Here's a command you can actually run. Here's what you can do. Uh, I didn't get really anything. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, we just threw more upstreams at it. Yep. Yeah, okay, sure. So doesn't help me. Let's, uh, let's take a short segue. We have a question in the chat room here uh, from Jen907. Good morning. If we were to change a node to an 85 megahertz return and not change the amplifier diplex filters right away, will the modems have problems when the CMTS upstream interface is set to 85 megahertz? So let's think about the problems here. So we're going to change the node to 85 megahertz, but the rest of the amplifiers are going to be probably 42 megahertz or 65 megahertz, depending on what our system is. Uh, it's going to be problem potentially, uh, potentially not. So I think uh, well, if they think didn't change this. the CMTS interface to 85 megahertz, modems wouldn't know that it's, a, it's an 85 megahertz plant. So everything yeah. would be good up until the point where he changed the CMTS interface to 85 megahertz. That's so you got to think, is there any ingress that would get above 42? Well, the amplifiers would block it. They'd block it. The so modems aren't trying to scan UCDs because you didn't configure anything above 42 in the CMTS. So right. you're not worried about modem transmissions. Um, and even if the modem transmitted above 42, the amplifier diplex filters would block it. So what can get in at the node between 42 and 85? Um, and how is it getting in? Um, AM, FM radio is 88 to 108, so that's out of the realm. Um, could you get the second harmonic of the modem signal, say at 40 megahertz or 30 megahertz, showing up at 60 megahertz, and then bleeding back on your upstream? Uh, and even if it did, would it cause a problem? You know, it's, so you're it, uh, talking about the forward, path, the forward path on the amplifiers because they have a 42, let's say they have a 4255 diplex filter. Yep. Uh, you're saying the forward path on the amplifiers mm -hmm. when they're, uh, is basically gonna come back on the node because the, the fiber node now has a higher split diplex filter, correct? And you're saying that's basically gonna come back potentially. No, no, I mean, in that regard, uh, it's too bad we didn't draw this out, right? <laughs> I mean, if, if the downstream signal goes to the next amplifier, it's not gonna just, come back over because it has a 42 megahertz filter. Um, but at the node itself, what if the node, uh, the downstream is, is you, you obviously don't have anything below 108 because you're using an 85, 108 or 85, 104 filter in the node. So your analog channels went away, like two, three, and four went away. Oh, um, true, true. So they're not going to be transmitting those. True. Yeah, exactly. So in the node itself, let's suppose your first channel is a DOCSIS channel at center frequency 111. Um, well, that's outside your 88. Yep. But what if your highest upstream channel is um, 36 megahertz? And for some reason, it comes out of the node and it hits a Caesar screw on a tap that's corroded or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it reflects. And the question would be, could I get a second harmonic? Well, the definition of CPD, common path distortion, is CTO, CTB and CSO. Really, common path distortion is second and third order intermixing. So could I get an intermix or could I also get a harmonic? You know, um, 
and I'm just thinking out loud, 36, second harmonic would be 72. If it came back 72, it would get through the upstream filter because it's 85. Could that affect my upstream laser? I'm always worried about laser clipping if it's an analog laser. Um, but I would think that reflection, the harmonic, it's kind of like you're down, your upstream signal at 36 is here. The harmonic's always going to be lower in level, right? Mm-hmm. The second harmonic's going to be twice the frequency, but it's going to be lower in level. By the time it comes back, you know, it's probably a minuscule amount of laser loading. So in that regard, I don't see a problem. I'm just trying to think out loud. Is there anything else between 42 and 85 that could get in uh, and affect me? You know, when I think about 42 and 85 in the house, I get more concerned about what we call adjacent device interference, where one modem transmitting above 42 at 50 dBmB can overload your set-top box in the house. Okay. That's more of a concern. Yeah. Um, and so really what, what we're talking about so far, so everyone's clear on this, is, is really micro-reflections where you have impairments. For, and these are... Not that these are corner cases. Micro-reflections definitely happen. These signals that John's talking about can definitely come into the plant. Uh, we're, we're not even talking about the impact on the modem. It's, it's more about the energy that's going to come back into your return plant, potentially cause laser clipping, or into your node to cause laser clipping. Um, I'm thinking that they may be putting like DAA nodes out there. Uh, John, or uh, hopefully they're thinking about that. If they're going to 85 megahertz, that'd be my first recommendation. When you go to 85 megahertz, don't put an analog note out there just because you do have uh, laser clipping issues. Uh, That said, some people are using EDR. Yeah. Oh, they could be digital notes. In that case with an EDR, you still don't have uh, the concern of laser clipping. Uh, Double the man uh, just uh, asked, continuing Jen's question, could they start with replacing just some amps? So people with node plus zero and node plus one get the full 85 megahertz and program further up to make 40, pr- progress further up to make 42 megahertz. Uh, make uh, people close, uh, make the close people with 43 to 85 megahertz. So, so I'm li- making a little, uh, having a prob- problem understanding exactly what he's saying. I, I think what he's saying is People directly off the node would get the full 85 megahertz. Then if they replaced, you know, upgraded the next amplifier directly off the node to 85 megahertz, those people, those subscribers would get 85 megahertz. And then anyone that they haven't upgraded is still just going to have a 42 megahertz return to systems based in Alaska. Um, so, I th- you know, I think what they're talking about is a slow migration to 85 megahertz yeah. once you drop that node in there. And they're and the just problem trying- is- you have no control over who's signing up for upstream speeds that require 85 megahertz. So, so, so what we, you know, who's this signing is, up? I, I see this as a scenario that's very similar to when you go to a full 85 megahertz return and people have a house amplifiers that still only go to 42 megahertz. And typically what we see in those scenarios is you may be doing eight channel bonding. Uh, when you can do 85, you get the full 85 megahertz return, but those people with house amplifiers only do four channel bonding. So it's, it's, it's not like this is an unheard of scenario. Um, and I, I think that analogy is pretty, pretty similar. Anyone who is off of node plus zero, node plus one, that's been upgraded to 85 megahertz. They're going to be able to do eight channel bonding. Or if you were, if you're running Doxus 3.1, you could put OFDMA above uh, 42 megahertz, which is always one of your recommendations, John, when you're doing something like this. And kind of what I'd really recommend to this system here, uh, run 
SCQAM up to 42 megahertz and run OFDMA above 42 megahertz, 42 to 85 megahertz would be the ideal solution in this system, but maybe they don't, maybe they don't have 3 to 3.1 and they can't do OFDMA. My recommendation then is I, it seems to me like this is going to work, but any place where you do not have 85 megahertz in a the plant, these amplifiers that have not been upgraded to 85 megahertz, those modems will be in partial mode because you're going to be, you're going to be sending eight channels likely SCQAM channels up to 85 megahertz. And once you get into those amplifiers that still only have a 42 megahertz diplex filter, any modems on that are going to either show as partial mode, which means they're going to be bonded to four upstream SCQAMs. They're going to see that they could bond to eight, but they're not going to be able to. So John, you may have recommendations on how to create right. multiple so, bonding groups. And this was this was my my concern with just saying during the SCT oh, we could throw more upstream channels at it. So I have a lot of pros and cons. I mean, pros, you get more speed, obviously, but there are a lot of cons to just haphazardly throw more upstream channels into a node. Uh, when you get past four upstream channels in a bonding group, you might as well go to eight for max transmit power issues. Once you go from four to five channels in the upstream, it's considered a 3 dB drop in max transmit power. So now you just lost more transmit power from your modems just by going to five channels. Um, when you do that next upstream channel above 42, none of the modems have brick wall filters in them. So some of the modems will lock on to that frequency above 42 and get really bad MER. So DOCSIS 2.0 modems might lock on and get really poor MER because they're in the roll off of their own internal diplex filter. And then the equalization in the modem has to make up for it. So you got power level and EQ being sucked dry uh, because you're running a channel that's in the roll-off because the modem doesn't know any better. The modems yeah. are dumb. It just uh, gets a downstream, locks on, gets a UCDs. Oh, try to range on upstream five. It starts ranging. It actually makes it. MER is like 22 dB. It's working. Yeah. It's not very good, but it's working. So now I have to do low balance groups to steer the devices. I have to do all kinds of stuff to put the modems below 42 that should be below 42 and i'm like you know what the cleanest keep it simple the cleanest solution don't put single carrier qualms above 42 yep and we've talked and, about that many times before yeah and you don't have to worry about it yeah uh so that works out really well just to do that but like you said if i'm going to implement 3.1 ofdma i have to have 3.1 devices um i would venture to guess that the 3.1 devices have come down in price enough that you could cherry pick where you're going to place those for the people that need higher speeds because yep. they probably need higher downstream speeds anyway that require 3-1 downstream so, so yeah um yeah the the 42 54 85 split uh it, it there's some contention there on how people look at that and um and and back to your point on the house amps we just came out with a new feature in the latest code 1612 1z um that if a because the modem doesn't know that there's a house amp with a filter. The modem can tell the CMTS, here's my capabilities, here's my filter, here's my chipset, here's what I can do. But the cable modem doesn't know the house amp. So we have a feature in the CMTS now that if the OFDMA channel shows lower MER than what you set as a threshold, we can drop the IUC all the way down to 13, which means go back to your registration modulation or drop the partial mode. And this has worked really well to operationalize OFDMA in environments that we have no control over because we can't control who has a house amp and who doesn't. 
Yeah. Even step attenuators. Remember they came out? Mm-hmm. Step attenuators basically were a three or a six dB uh, loss on the upstream, but it was a built-in diplex motor. To 42 megahertz. Yeah. And yeah. now there's now they're out there everywhere because yes. We recommended those too. <laughs> so, oh, Jen, that was a great question. I hate to think so much on a Friday, but we, you know, we're happy to do that. So, um, yeah. So, thanks for uh, thanks for asking a question, Jen. And uh, do please subscribe, Jen, if you're not already, and and hit the thumbs up button if you appreciated our answer because that helps the algorithm in uh, in getting our our videos recommended. Um, so another announcement that came out uh, during, I think it was right after Expo, Apple had an event where they announced the new iPhone, and the biggest killer feature in the new iPhone is 5G. The problem is, and, and they, they, they like said 5G like 70 times during the Apple event. So if you're buying a new iPhone strictly for 5G, you might be sorry that you're doing it because there's not a lot of 5G out there. And John, I think you talked about this before when I was saying, oh, you know, 5G, it's going to be really competitive and stuff. It doesn't go through walls. So you have to find a 5G tower out there, and then you have to be really close to that 5G in order to get it, where they're very rare right now. So I, I think it's really interesting. And Oh, and another thing is a 5G partnered with Verizon. So this is like a really big deal. You have to be on Verizon with an Apple iPhone close to a 5G tower in order to get these speeds. So I think this is really interesting that this was Apple's big play on 5G with the new Apple phone, the new iPhones. Uh, but there's there's just not much 5G out there. So I'm, I'm interested in, like, was this their play to push 5G? Uh, and, and, you know, where are we going with 5G? So I don't, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, John. Yeah, it, it, I'm like, is it the carriage in front of the horse you know what's one what's driving the other that is an interesting almost conundrum because the more we work from home the less we actually move use the mobile network at all you know everyone's using wi-fi and wi-fi calling and mobile usage has gone down now that's going to go back up and we start moving around the question would be apple wants to sell more phones they're mobile phones but maybe they need to sell them not as mobile phones and as hotspots. And maybe that's sort of their play is if you get the new Apple phone, you can use it as a hotspot. And here's why I was always concerned. Is 5G a competitor of cable or a complement? And we, I think work? we see arguments both ways. Oh. And, I, and so I, I, think, I think we needed someone as a driver to push 5G to make it happen. And, and maybe that's why Verizon and Apple are doing this partnership to, to push that out there. But there's at this point, we're going to have a lot of people going out and buying 5G iPhones and then just to get 5G. And then they're going to be disappointed with the fact that they're not finding 5G anywhere, at least in the U.S. I think Europe could be in a little different position, but the U.S. market is not there with 5G right now. So I, I wouldn't run out and buy a, an iPhone right now just to get 5G. It'll be interesting on their marketing. It's like, get the iPhone 12 5G. Wait, wait a minute. Is it 5? iPhone 5? Get the iPhone 5 with 11G. Oh, wait a minute. Which one's which? <laughs> but it's it's interesting. It's like as uh, someone that lives out in rural America now, um, it would be interesting if I could use my 5G, if I had it, as a mobile hotspot. Uh, what I find interesting is would it be more reliable with a laptop, because a laptop has a battery, the mobile phone has a battery, as long as the 5G microcell, whatever it is, doesn't go down in power. So even if my whole house went out, I would still have connectivity. If you're outside your house with 5G. 
you're, well, you know, once you go inside your house, you're going to drop back to LTE. Yeah, that, that's the question is how we, we know the, the higher frequencies have more loss, right? Uh, and it can't, 5G won't be able to go as far. The question is, do I have to have a, a, a microcell or whatever you call it in my house? Right. That's, that's been a question, too, is where do we envision mo- mobile backhaul with 5G over DOCSIS? Do we envision a 3-1 modem with a 5G cell site on the pole? Or that being on the pole is not good enough to reach signal in my house. Or, or do you think at some point uh, the 5G costs will come down low enough that they'll start embedding 5G modems into cable modems? That's, that's, I, I, yeah, that's a good question. We put Wi-Fi in cable we, modems. We, Why not? And when do we, and that was part of the talk also, is the convergence of mobile and cable. You know, we don't have to be enemies, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, how do we merge the two together? And as a user, you're never going to get rid of your mobile phone. Never. <laughs> but if the mobile phone could provide the speeds adequate, you might get rid of your cable modem. Yeah, I, I mean. But the I, more you have problems with Wi-Fi and Internet and, and connectivity, you're like, I would never get rid of my wired line. I always want one wired line. I don't know that you want one wired line. I, I think a lot of people don't have one wired lines. I think people get rid of the wired lines, but they keep their mobile phone. Well, I mean, for a telephone, yes. But that, that is a good question on the... On and and the, I, I also think it's country specific, uh, It's specific to countries. I, I think there's some countries that you go to and they don't have it. Everything is based on their mobile phone. Yeah. That's because they don't have the infrastructure that we probably have. Yeah. I think it's, it's a luxury. We have a luxury here to keep... The wired line, what you're saying is wired broadband, not wired like telephone line. So it's a luxury to have the wired broadband. All right. So we have uh, we have our friend Green saying telecom uses here, Germany, dynamic spectrum sharing 4G and 5G, some frequencies, but with but OFC without real 5G speeds. And and so I think and and I've I've heard that before that I, I think Europe is ahead of us as far as 5G. Uh, but he, with, he's saying it's not real 5G speeds in Germany right now. So, and isn't, isn't that a matter of distance as well? For the as <sighs> further away, um, I, I don't know because we have like AT and T has 5G E here, 5G with a little E, but it's yeah. not real. It shows up on your phone, but it's still it, it's not true 5G. Maybe the phone was made by GE. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So never serious. <laughs> All right, John. So, uh, wrapping things up. Anything else that uh, you want to cover? Anything coming up? Yeah. Is there anything coming up? It's getting. Um, I don't think there's any more shows now between now and the end yeah. of the year. Yeah, I thought you know, Anga, Anga. Uh, their announcement was we are postponing till blah 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 2021. So you can't postpone an annual <laughs> conference in a year. That's basically you canceled that year. If you postpone it to the next year, what are you going to do with that year's conference? <laughs> you know, it's basically they canceled this year's 2020 show and they're going to do Anga in Germany in June, I think, next year, right? 2021? Yes. As it happens. I haven't so seen a call for papers on Anga yet, though, or an update on if they're having a show, but we'll find out, I guess, soon. You would think at least... Uh, this is generally where we get the call for papers. It's, it's, yeah. It comes in, I think, around November. So we'll know in November what's happening with Anga. Yeah, and I know SCTE uh, is scheduled for Atlanta next year. Yep, that's. I like to see it's been mashup. announced. I think we'll see. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see some type of mashup. 
a virtual just for classrooms and maybe actual um, small booths or something. I, I don't know. I don't know how that transpires, but uh, everything's going more software and, and there's not a lot of hardware to really break out and show people, you know? So, all right. I think we'll be back in, uh, in one or two weeks. Uh, we have a show on uh, powering, plant powering with Alpha Technologies. Uh, so that's our next show coming up. And we'll see that. A uh, couple more questions or comments here. Uh, wouldn't we need the LLX feature, so low latency backhaul uh, feature for 5G backhaul on the CMTS and CMs? Um, that's for 5G. and that, So that is actually something that is required. 5G requires very short timing uh, in DOCSIS. And we, would, uh, we do need the, uh, I think it's, it's not LLX, John, is it? It's, or is it LLX? Low latency. No, Low latency X hall. Low latency X hall. I thought there's something after the X on that. Um, yeah, we so how are you? How are we coming with that um, on the vendor side for low latency X hall? Pushing ahead, and I just like we talked about carriage and horse. Which one? Which one's leading this, and how much resources do you put into it? But uh, you know, cable labs are always uh, pushing the spec. I think it's solidified already. Uh, Doxis timing protocol would be something that would go in the modems. Um, because if, if you truly are mobile, one of the things you don't want to do is walk around and go from one cell site to another cell site and not have a, a nice handoff. So if that cell site is going to a different DOCSIS modem, you got to make sure that timing is not just based on 6.25 microseconds, which is a DOCSIS tick. You have to have the like nanosecond or a lot tighter timing tolerances. Uh, and you're not going to put a, uh, a GPS in every, every node just so you have synchronization to a satellite. So you have to synchronize to something and DOCSIS timing is not tight enough for mobile backhaul. So we have DOCSIS timing protocol. Uh, the low latency backhaul is, how do I, how do I take, uh, I'm talking on the phone, it's going to a cell site, it's feeding a cable modem, it's going over DOCSIS. But we all, you and I know DOCSIS works by doing a request grant, request grant. We got to get rid of that request grant for the mobile just to go over like a UGS flow, right? Just go. So that's where we have this thing called bandwidth report, where the CMTS has to track with an external 5G device to uh, understand that it's a 5G service flow coming up, kind of ignore the request grant cycle of DOCSIS and just do your own request grant through your mobile. It's, it's a way to bypass. That's part of the LLX spec, the low latency X-Hall. Yeah. And as I saw it, I think there's a, there's a nice tight integration between the cable modem and the uh, uh, basically the the, cell, the the 5G part of it, where it basically the request from the modem goes and integrates with the with the the 5G side of it. So it's and the, one and the whole closed loop. That topic is coming up is because if, and John Chapman did a crazy ass uh, example, and I was like, wow, he ran the numbers and he looked at a 4G cell site feeding a service group this big to do 5G. It was like a hundred different 5g sites to cover that same one cell site for 4g yeah so it's like a hundred uh and now it's like the cell phone guys can't afford to put up all these little cell sites and stuff and if it's in the middle of nowhere you can't afford to put up a cell site in the middle of nowhere and run fiber it's like well doxis is already there cable company's already there why don't we just piggyback on them and that's where this is all coming from yeah, and that's, nope. the cable industry is is likely in a much better position to deploy 5G just because of our infrastructure, but we've got to take advantage of it, and we need low-latency X-Hall. 
All right, John, we're going to call this show a wrap. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Do Please do hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up if you liked what you're watching. Click the notification bell if you want to be notified of upcoming episodes. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our show with Alpha Technologies, where we talk about plant balancing. Good chatting with everyone. Good chatting with you, John. Thanks for watching. So long, all. Take care.